Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe. On the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the 10th episode of The Edge of Every Day here on talkradio.nyc. And again, Happy New Year. We are starting this new year recommitted to courageous conversations and recharged to face what awaits in 2022. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or of course, you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com, or tune into any of my previous episodes. In a nutshell, this show is about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful, those places where we're resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs and in our understandings, both internally and collectively in the world around us, those places we don't want to look at. We live in challenging times, but we must come to understand that life isn't black or white. It's an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it's time to introduce our guest this evening. Stephen Hanks is a writer, editor, publisher, entrepreneur, producer, reviewer, performer, master of ceremony, PR manager, baseball coach, and sports enthusiast. Stephen has had a 40-plus year career as a magazine publisher and editorial director for numerous national magazines, including the award-winning archaeology magazine for kids called Dig. He has written and or edited six sports books, including biographies of Wayne Gretzky and Bo Jackson, and the oral history of the 1969 New York Jets Super Bowl team. Stephen served as a surrogate speaker and media monitor for the New York Bill Clinton for President campaign. Stephen began his career in New York City Cabaret as a reviewer for Cabaret Scenes in 2010. He became lead reviewer and editor of BroadwayWorld.com Cabaret section in 2012. Over a four-year period, Stephen produced seven cabaret variety shows for Urban Stages Winter Rhythms Festival. In 2014, Stephen produced and hosted Broadway World New York Cabaret Award Shows at the Metropolitan Room and the renowned Joe's Pub. From 2013 to 16, he performed 12 Don McLean tribute shows at various New York City cabaret venues. Stephen hosted and produced five Blue Wave Democratic candidate fundraising shows in 2018. He has been a member of the International Al Jolson Society since 1985 and has produced five 64-page journals for this organization. Stephen moved to Sedona, Arizona in July 2021, where he is currently on the board of the Democrats of the Red Rocks, and he has joined forces with the annual Sedona International Film Festival. He is a contributing political essayist 
at medium.com and plannedman.com. Welcome, Stephen. Hello, Sandra, my dear friend. Wow. Hello, my dear friend. Welcome to the end. You know, when I when I hear an introduction like that, I'm reminded of one of my favorite lines in movies, which was Cary Grant's line in North by Northwest, when he says, I'm beginning to think I'm underpaid. <laughs> Excellent. Um, <laughs> right? Well, it's good to think that. Yeah. He's Renaissance yeah. man, you. You, oh, you multi-hyphen it, as I like to call it. <laughs> Now, I, I now want to put my reading glasses on so I can see this amazing venue that you are situated in, which I know <laughs> oh, is come called on. the Plum. You're adorable. You've been here. There we go. Let me see. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I love this. Oh, it's my so goodness. Cool. It's you've fabulous. Got, you've, got, you've got the Plum and I've got the Teal. Right. You exactly. Know? Well, just real quickly, I'm going to We have very, very, edgy color, very edgy colors. Edgy colors, indeed, <laughs> like your shirt. I'm going to pitch this plum real quickly because it is Absolutely. it is my salon space and my and, and it is in sync with the edge of every day and you can see the poster of it up there over I the hope door. I sing in that room. It's one it's about having fierce conversations as the salons were created to be in the 16th and 17th century and then they just went through the end of the 16th century they moved through the 17th and 18th century through France. And into modern times, it's about mm -hmm. having fierce conversations about politics, literature, the, the times that we find ourselves in. And it was my hope to create that with this gathering space and also a place to do, you know, intimate weddings, gatherings of all kinds. But primarily combining um, art with education and a salon space. Yeah. So you can check out for those listening in and you want to see more photos of it and read about it, go to the plum at th2.com. It's the plum at Traver Hollow House. You can read all about it at that website. So thanks for that, Stephen. Yeah, now I so, know I know you I know you created this room a while ago. Mm -hmm. Um maybe well, more than a year ago, right? Well, slowly but surely during the pandemic, thankfully, I have. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. How frustrated has it been for you not to be able to to do what you wanted to do in that room? With this space. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, of course, it's been it's been frustrating. So much has been frustrating. Um, you know, so much of my work went poof. And but but there was some joy in 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 because of the pandemic, I didn't put this together quickly. Mm. I was able to be a little, um, to take my time with choices and to, to have it feel, it was always going to be organic, but it, right. I was able to um, bring things together and find pieces to, and, and receive pieces from friends, tell them about what I was trying to create. Um, you know, people have donated. I have beautiful, some beautiful antiques in here, but people have donated. That some looks things, great. Um, yeah. You know that that will contribute to the warmth of the space for these salons. But yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm I'm hoping that things. I've got all kinds of plans for the spring and summer this year, and hopefully, I'll be able to realize them. Yeah, great. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Lots of cabaret shows, lots of salon space, you know, some poetry, some some fabulous weddings. We'll mm -hmm. see. So um, you you told me about uh, a, a fabulous quote today. Mm. And I want you to by Sidney Poitier, who has recently yeah. left yes. our presence. A fabulous man. I'd like you to to to, to retell that story and why you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, it, the timing of that was so bizarre because I knew I was going to be doing the show with you about the edge of every day and yeah. our edges. And so last night, as as uh, is has been my habit lately, since I moved to Sedona, my whole time mechanism has been warped. I so, so I I I I go to sleep a little earlier than I used to, and then I end up like getting up a couple hours after I go to bed and. Um, and then I, I, so last night I got up about 1230 Sedona time mm -hmm. and turned on the TV and I'm scanning the channels and I saw that Oprah on her own channel was doing these tribute shows. She was replaying these tribute shows that she had done for Sidney Poitier. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, of course. I love and, it. And so one of them was this incredible little dinner party that she put together. It was sort of a combination of her book club and a dinner party for Sidney Poitier's 80th birthday. So there were people that had read his book, you know, what they call everyday Americans, a phrase I hate, but anyway, for lack of a better one. And they were talking about the book and about his childhood. And he talked about when he was very young, he considered himself and thought of himself as an outsider. And other, he thought other people looked at him as an outsider. And not just because he was African-American in New York but for a whole raft of reasons. Mm. And the quote, and I, I couldn't believe he said this. He was like, you know, an outsider is somebody that lives on the edge or walks on the edge and you just hope that you don't fall over. Ugh. And what not only was it timely because we were going to do this show, but um, it resonated with me because you know, my interpretation of your uh, edge of every day theme, as I've said to you before, is that it's the kind of phrase that you can bring your own interpretation to what it means. You know, is it about being edgy? Is it about living on the edge? Is, you know, there may be four or five other definitions that people have for what that means. And, you know, my my kind of relationship to that quote that Sidney Poitier had was, you know, I feel like during my life I have lived a little bit on the edge at times, mm-hmm. but not to the point where I've fallen over. Now, now other people might dispute that knowing my, knowing my past and career, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, and I think it, I think it means, you know, Living on the edge is being willing to take chances and exactly, you know, it's um, it's not a it's not an it doesn't have to be a negative way of understanding it. Falling over the edge, that that doesn't have to be exactly the, the way yeah. it's taken. You know, I've I've described it a variety of ways. You know, it in in the the metaphysical world, the spiritual world, the psychological world. Um, the edge is about the shadow side of life, and it's that's based on Carl Jung. Um, the shadow self, the the side of, you know, we present this really light and it's talked about in spiritual circles and, you know, how we, it's, it's uh, social media, we just present what's light and pretty and we don't want to talk about or share or look at or sometimes in some people even be conscious of, of things that we're embarrassed about or... Mm-hmm you know, be it a belief or a behavior or a relationship, you know, things that we just don't want to look at. Like I said in my opening, that you know, these beliefs that are are incongruous with the way that, that we like to present ourselves. I mean, you know, racism in the United States is a perfect collective shadow. Yeah. And white supremacy is a spot-on, enormous place of a lot of people who I'm not a racist they have no idea the shadow side of that work the collective shadow side so you know that's really what I talk about well, okay we started on the you know you can j- try, risk <laughs> new things or you can be on, on the edge of a belief system or like I like to think of edge walking the communities that mm-hmm. you know that I'm in I'm not in the center of them and I I've come to learn that that's a place I like to be because I like to do hybrids. I like to have my foot in a lot of different things. And you can't necessarily, I'm not afraid to be in the middle, but it's not where I want to be. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think that that people who live on the edge are iconoclastic or they're rebels. or And, and, and those kind of things are only... Uh, only describe someone if you subscribe to a certain norm of the way you're supposed to act in society. Absolutely. Right. And that's the perfect place for us to take our first break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with our edgy guest, Stephen Hanks, about how he got into all of his work. Wow. You when we come back. <laughs> When we come back. 
Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Every day. <laughs> and we are back. <laughs> and we are back with Stephen Hanks. You and I have been on the edge many days. <laughs> we have been. Together. And Together. we will get to that. That's we right. will get to that. That is the crux of it. That's but right. before I dive into that, I want to go back to your your ute, when you were a ute. A ute? Yeah. Um, go back to your early days. I know that uh, you have been passionate about politics for for a long, long, long time. And I know that you went to college for political science. What was the thing? What was the, the moment that you were inspired to, to get into politics? What was the moment that grabbed you? I know this is maybe hard to believe or maybe not, but I mentioned this in one of the Blue Wave shows, if you remember, um, when we did one um, on um, the anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination. Mm. And I talked about how I think I became passionate about politics and journalism at the very same time. And it was when I was eight years old, watching the coverage of the Kennedy assassination. Oh, and my. that I was, I was, not only was was JFK like a hero to me already, um, and, I, and I started becoming interested in history at a young age, but um, I, I was just sort of obsessed with the four days of that coverage. And, um, and, the national and I just theory. got very into politics. And I remember when I was like, I think it was like 10 or 11 when John Lindsay was running for mayor of New York and I found the campaign headquarters and I just thought the coolest thing to do would be running around handing out flyers for a, a candidate. And and I think part of the reason why I was so into it was because I looked at it as another sport. I mean, when I was a kid, sports was pretty much my whole life. I totally get that. I and, totally and get I that connection. And I saw politics as a competitive sport. And, and, I, there was, and indeed, you're correct. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to root for somebody. And I had a rooting interest, and, I, and there was a winner and a loser, and you could get all and a strategy, up. and yeah, the strategy definitely the chess the strategy. Of all the moves. Oh yeah, it was it was another sport to me, so it just took off from there. And the reason why I became a political science major, um, not only because I was interested in politics, was because when I got to college, I knew I wanted to be a magazine writer, and so, okay. and so I. I was planning on being an English major, 
but the English subjects were so incredibly boring to me right. that I decided that if I was going to do this for a career, I would join the student newspaper and learn how to actually do a newspaper. And my major became something I was really interested in, which was politics. So um, when I wasn't working on the school newspaper constantly, I was on the baseball team and because of that, I ended up having to go to college for five years because I took so many incompletes <laughs> that, I, that I couldn't graduate on time because I was always doing some extracurricular activity. Oh, my. So, um, you know, so that was that's basically how it kind of started. I love it. So, so wow, I didn't realize that you knew specifically that you wanted to get into that was going to be one of my questions. Oh, yeah, when why I, when why I was, magazines of all the, the you know, well, you know what? You know what that was from? When I was a kid, I collected baseball cards. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to be a teenager, I thought I was ready to outgrow that. And I started collecting sports magazines. Uh, and I was, I was already interested in writing, which was an influence that my dad had gave me. We used to sit and read the sports sections of the papers every morning together. Uh-huh. And, um, and when I was 14 years old, I decided that I wanted to create a sports magazine in New York when I was old enough to do that. And Fantastic. I eventually did. I eventually did. And you did that. Yeah. And you, you totally did that. And you, uh, did you ever contemplate having a political magazine or, 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 or getting involved with, I mean, did that even exist at that time? Any kind of publication that was into any of that? Um, I wrote political columns for my school mm-hmm. paper um, as far as doing a magazine. And then if I had had that idea, JFK Jr. stole it for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> He, I don't know if you remember the magazine. I do. George. George. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually, for, for three semesters, uh, for three years, I taught a course at NYU's School of Continuing Education um, in, in magazine editing and, and publishing. And I one of my lessons for the class was to have them create a magazine idea and and create a plan for it. And um, one of the one of the students, cre- you know, wanted to create a political magazine, and it was right at the time that that JFK Junior magazine was coming out, <sighs> which I didn't think was very well executed, by the way. But you know how opinionated I am about those things. <laughs> you, Get yeah, me, no, get out of here. So I, I want I want to touch on your award winning magazine, Dig. Yeah, and I love that it was for for young people. And then I want to get jump into um, your, your entrance into the cabaret world. But please share with me and our listeners about Dig and how you came to that. What was what was the path to getting involved in that? So so when when my wife B and I started New York Sports Magazine in 1983, I thought that was going to be my life's work. And I wanted it to be my life's work because it was my dream from the time I was a teenager. Mm. Well, it turned out to be a critical success and a financial failure, as, you know, a lot of these things are. Magazines, Broadway shows, and restaurants, the three things you should never put your money in. Um, And although I was devastated by that not working, and it took me a, a, a while to grieve over that, there were things that I ended up doing in my life that I probably wouldn't have been able to do had that not happened. And one of the things that I was able to do was I got involved in kids publishing just because I was looking for an editing job. I I got a job working at Scholastic for third and fourth graders. Oh, I remember those. Scholastic news. Mm -hmm. Anyway, to try to make a long story short, um, a mutual friend turned me on to the fact that the Archaeological Institute of America, which had an adult magazine for about 50 years by that point, was interested in creating a children's magazine. And this person knew me and knew that I was in children's publishing. And the next thing I knew, I was being offered the opportunity to create from scratch an archaeology magazine for kids. And I created this. They they had the idea of calling it Dig, which I thought was brilliant. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, dig this, you know, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, perfect. And, um, and, you know, what I was able to do, you know, people ask me, well, how can you do this? You're not an archaeologist. And my answer would be, you know what? I have the experience of a magazine editor, and I know what a good story is, but I also have the curiosity about archaeology of a 12-year-old. And so that's the way I approached it, and I found writers. And you surrounded yourself with knowledgeable people. Exactly. And And so the academics would submit these stories that were, as you can imagine, very dense. Yeah. And and I would massage them into kids speak. And, Fantastic. Um, yeah. And after a year, about a year and a half, uh, the company was entering the magazine into these competitions. And before I knew it, we had gotten educational publishing awards for the best children's mm-hmm. magazine. And there was there was one competition giving an award for the best magazine launches over the previous five years. And somebody urged me to, to enter that. And I said, listen, there's no way that we can even be acknowledged. And we ended up being one of the 10 best magazine launches. And some of the other titles were the Oprah magazine, ESPN, the magazine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, it was almost like which one does not belong, you know. It was all, <laughs> <laughs> and again, to my chagrin, cri- critical success and financial failure. Well, because the, the you know magazines are very difficult to sustain at low circulate at small circulations. Yes, indeed. so um, a lot of money was spent on it that they couldn't make back. It eventually got sold to uh, another educational publisher. That makes but, sense. But they didn't. But they weren't in New York, and I wasn't. Yeah, you could. They wanted me to stay on, but I wasn't going to move out of New York to yeah. continue working on it. So, well, their loss. My wife keeps telling our me gain. that's their the best loss, thing I've ever done. So, so. Uh, you you leave you leave this job and you move into cabaret. Not oh, quite that. Not quite not that. Like that. <laughs> but let's 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 jump into that. Oh, yeah. I, I'm just getting that we're getting a two minute break. Um, so I'm going to say let's let's hold off with any information to lead into this until we come back, and we're going to start out with how you got into the cabaret community and mm-hmm. move on from there. Right. When we come back with Stephen right. Hanks on the edge of every day. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
we are back with Stephen Hanks on the edge of every day. So let's dive in. Um, you know, I like to start out my show telling people how I, I, I know my guests. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, obviously, I know you through coming in um, to when I came in with the edge of every day. That's how you and I met. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you what was the spark? How did you come into the cabaret world? And then we'll dive into our our blue wave shows. OK, so, yeah. Music's always been a big passion of mine. Well, yeah, your dad loved music, right? Yeah, you know, my dad and my mom. My mom actually was a fantastic singer, and she probably could have been a professional had she not had me. So she, she got pregnant with me when she was 19. And, you know, I, I used to hear her singing around the house. She, my, my mom went to the same high school in the Bronx as Edie Gourmet. And Edie Gourmet was her idol. So she, when I was a kid, I'd hear my mom running around the house singing, what did I have that I don't have? And if he walked into my life. And so I was, and my dad was into Glenn Miller and all the big band stuff. So I was immersed in that pretty early on. And um, I love Broadway show music. And um, so sometime around 2007, I decided that I, you know, as I've told you, I'm a big believer in living out fantasies. And, <laughs> and people can draw their own conclusions. That is the quintessential edge of every day. <laughs> exactly. Um, and one of my fantasies was singing in a show, you know, like a lot of, a lot of kids who, you know, I would yeah, yeah, yeah. in my bedroom with the, with the brush and singing into it, you know. Oh, yeah. So I found the 92nd Street Y was giving a course in cabaret performance. And at the end of these rehearsal sessions, they would book a room like Don't Tell Mama. And so a group of us, five or six of us, would would perform a show and each of us would get two or three songs. And I figured that would be my exposure. You know, it never occurred to me that um, I, I, I would do a show because I felt you would have to audition as I found out later, was not right. the case. Yeah, and yeah. Um, nobody would pick me because I'm not a professional singer. So I lived out that fantasy. And then um, around when, when I, on my 55th birthday, I, my wife took me to the Iguana restaurant where Dana Lorge, the late Dana Lorge, was doing an open mic show. And I was sitting at a table and there was a copy of Cabaret Scenes magazine on the table. And I started thumbing through it, and I was I was working in an advertising sales job at the time, and hated it, and I was desperate to have a writing outlet. Mm. So I went through this magazine, and I thought, you know, I've never done critical writing before. It's one of the few types of writing that I had never done, mm. and I wanted to try it. So I thought. I'll write to Frank Dane of Cabaret Scene, send them my resume and some clips and tell him I want to review shows. And he said, yes. And boom, I was a cabaret reviewer. And that's, and that was in 2010 at the end of 2010. And I, I wrote reviews for cabaret scenes for a few years. Apparently people thought I was pretty good. Um, and well, so I mean, you you wor- worked very hard to educate yourself on the whole, as I recall, on the whole the the genre. And it's not like you just walked in and went, you know. Oh God, I, I was so you intimidated. did your research. I was so intimidated by the idea of making sure that I sounded like I knew what I was talking about. I am I you know just to write a seven hundred word review. I did research like as the kids say up the wazoo. I yeah. don't know, may not say that. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and for people listening in, just real quickly, Iguana at the time was, uh, I don't know if it still is, but it, the, upstairs it was uh, the place to go. And down yeah. Lorge, Lorge, it was a revered and well-loved cabaret singer yeah, once in the a cabaret week, community in New York City. Right. Just for those listening in. And then after a couple of years, I moved over to BroadwayWorld.com, mm-hmm. which had a cabaret section that you could not find. It, it, you talk about an archaeological dig. That was, <laughs> you know, 
that was what trying to find the cabaret section on Broadway World was. So they so they brought me in as the editor, and I really pushed them to give it more of of a of a voice and platform. And so eventually, we created the Broadway World Awards for cabaret, and I hosted the shows and produced the shows, and the award winners did performances, and that was oodles of fun as you can imagine oh completely so that's and then you know from there i just decided i wanted to perform and produce shows and just uh you know i don't go in with one toe when i when i do you dive in absolutely dive in so yes and we talked about the show uh, the variety of shows that you have done in the variety of rooms that you you had have worked in and performed in but but I'd like for us to just for sake of time I'd like for us to dive into the uh, blue wave because wave, of yeah. the times that we live in this is how I know you and this is where I you know I want cabaret to feel like a place where it can have a political voice so I met Stephen we were seeing a show or uh, I knew you already well, we knew each other right we exactly. went to a show together that night. yeah we were going to a show and you, why don't you tell the story, my friend? <laughs> so one of my one of my cabaret clients, Jeff McCauley, uh, mm-hmm. who I was doing publicity for at the time, had a show right in between Christmas and New Year's at Pangea. That's right. It was cold. in the East Village. And after the show was over, you and I were sitting at the bar having our third cocktail, probably yes. after our two drink minimum. Like. Not in quite in a glass like the. Oh cup yes, like yes, yes. My Moscow Mule cup is here, so. Cheers, my ooh, friend. Cheers. Anyway, I'm recreate it for everyone watching. So, as you'll recall, at the end of 2017, uh, we were at the tail end of Donald Trump's first year as president. I get, it's still in shock. Right. I was massively depressed that entire. Depressed. Year. Um, and and beating myself up over trying to find a way to do something, um, especially regarding voting rights, which is my number one issue and should be everybody's. Should be everyone's, yep. Everyone. Like, there isn't even a number two or three. No, exactly. Um, So... Period. We were sitting... So I, I remember whining to you about how I couldn't figure out what I could do. I wanted to get involved with voting rights organizations, but all of them were in Washington. Stacey Abrams was in Georgia. I couldn't put my I couldn't wrap my head around what I could do. Yeah, this and is then a yeah. frustration for all of us. What yeah. do we do? How can we contribute? And then while we were sitting at the bar, I just suddenly, you know, how you get these flashes of inspiration, I thought, I said to you, Sandra, I'm in cabaret. I should do something with cabaret regarding raising money for Democratic candidates because we need to win the midterm elections. Absolutely. And that's how the blue wave shows were born. Just completely juiced. And we talked about all, all kinds of ideas. Yeah. And they and were many different born. performers were in it. So tell our listeners um, what you created, how you put this together, um, how much money was raised, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we, we raised $6,000 after five shows. Yes. And we and the way it worked was there were five, there were about six performers in each show, as you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and each of the performers were, I asked each of the performers to represent a specific candidate. Yes. Either a senator or Murphy. professional. Right. And and they would and each performer did two songs or three. I think there were some shows that did three, um, and they were all political oriented songs. Yes, and it was fascinating to me to find out how many songs that were out there that people could choose from. And, oh yeah, well, and and certainly every, songs that didn't have a political bent, but with with that in mind, the lyrics just. Yeah, like one of the songs you did, American Anthem, which was well, that was very you know, political. But I'm, but yeah. there, and and you know, I found that because of you asking me into these shows, I had never heard that song before, and it has become. I, I had neither. I mean, it was just it was a fantastic choice. But there were songs that um, 
you know, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere humorous. Uh, yeah, like the one I wrote. Um, exactly. Don't call it spirits for nothing about right. wanting, wanting to meditate with alcohol um, through all the stressful times that yeah. we were going through at that time. That yeah, we're still going through. Hello, wrote wrote original songs. So we had about thirty performers all together through the five shows and raised six thousand dollars and spread that out among the 30 candidates Fabulous. Um, and um, and what happened in November 2018 the Democrats won for I'm not saying this was because we did it but <laughs> we we won 40 seats and then we did two celebration shows Indeed. at don't tell mama that January of 2018. Yes. One, I think, was on the anniversary of Martin Luther King's birthday. Indeed, it was. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, yeah, so that was an experience that I'll never forget. And, um, you know, I wish and we all could of us who were in it will never forget it. And to your art, your point about what can I do um, other than vote? How how can I feel engaged in the democratic process? How can I contribute and those shows were such a glorious outlet for all of us who performed and all of the people that we brought to see the shows. Yeah. And the passion that the performers had. Oh, it was it just it, it thrilled me. It thrilled me to see that people, you know, the performers willing to give up their time and energy and talent with no remuneration. Quite because, frequently. Yeah, quite frequently because they were just so as passionate about this as I was. And that was just amazing. That's glorious. So I, 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 I went down a little rabbit hole around um, cabaret and politics. And I started to read about cabaret, believe it or not. And Don't Tell Mama, for those listening in, Don't Tell Mama, um, it, that's a song. Don't Tell Mama is a song in the show, Cabaret, the 1966 musical mm -hmm. Cabaret. And um, and so I and the whole musical is people who know the show know that it's it talks about the rise of nationalism, mm -hmm. the, the, the poignancy of that and how that is completely reflected in our world today. Yeah. And I want to um, explore with you, Stephen, if you see a role of politics melding with cabaret moving forward from, you know, this time and um, and and how you see the cabaret community moving forward in general. How do you see that community being rebuilt after COVID? Mm -hmm. So those are the two things I want to begin our next section. We've got to take a break now. Okay. And when we come back, we will visit that and more with Stephen Hanks on the Edge of Every Day. Stay tuned. Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4 p.m. every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership here live on talkradio.nyc. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never 
And we are back on the edge of every day with Stephen Hanks. So let's dive in. What do you do? You see uh, a merge of politics, um, the quintessential cabaret understanding of of times ago, uh, the roots of cabaret, the political merging, uh, political satire, etc. And and how do you see? the cabaret community now that you know we've had this clarion call to rebuild community in in all aspects of life life not just in obviously in the cabaret community but COVID has really shined a light on rebuilding community in so many different ways so what how do you feel about the cabaret community rebuilding after COVID? well you know you asked the question about the merging of cabaret and politics and you know, one of the things that's been, and I could be completely wrong about this, people could, could debate me on this point, but I've been really disappointed over the past six years at how little political commentary is coming out of the music community. Um, I remember, you know, when I, was, when I was a teenager, the 60s, I mean, every other song was, was a political song. Yeah. There wasn't one pop star or one rock and roll singer who didn't have a protest song in their portfolio. Right. And we're making some commentary. And I, I don't know, unless, unless, it's, unless it's the genres that I don't follow, you well, know, do, um, I, don't, I don't hear it coming out of pop music, you know. Um, well, and even the way things are, are, are released, Right. Even the way music is dropped now. And, and I don't know, does uh, social media have something to do with that with the young people? Do they feel like, you know, anyway, continue. Yeah, I mean, so, so in, in, terms of, in terms of cabaret, it, it, you know, I think, I think here and there, there are people that do individual shows that can touch on political topics. But listen, to be honest, when we were doing the Blue Wave show, there were uh, websites that reviewed cabaret that would not review our shows. I remember. Specifically because they were, um, I was not eligible for a Mac Award nomination because we were doing political shows. Yep. And not that that bothers me at all because, you know, I'm glad we did what we did. Um, that yeah, was just the way is, they wanted to approach it. Yeah, but so... You know, I don't know. It would be nice if if the the art form became a little bit more political again. But I agree. Who you know? Um, I, I agree, mean, and we we live in and we live in very edgy, desperate times. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're hanging I, on. Democracy's got a respirator on. Yeah, but you know, there's a, there's a large segment of the people, even those on the political left, who are very passionate about what's going on who go to a cabaret show and they don't want to be preached to. They want to get away from politics. I think maybe maybe because there's a 24-7 news cycle and cable news that people are so inundated. Oh, totally. Politics. And like I said, social media as yeah, well. They, sure. they want to get away from it. You know, so I don't blame them for feeling that way. I mean, as far as the cabaret world in general, um, in the age of COVID, you know, I think there was a lot of talk at the beginning of the pandemic two years ago that this could kill cabaret. Kill the whole community. Um, especially in New York, because it was so bad in New York. Um, look, the cabaret is an eccentric subculture of entertainment. And it always will be. That doesn't minimize it. I mean, I love I love the art form, and I loved it when I was involved in it. There were times that I had a love hate relationship with it um, for various reasons, um, but I I I would hope that it's going to survive and thrive. And and there are still hundreds of people in New York and and in other places that are producing and performing shows on various levels. Oh, um, agreed. I think I think the as we've talked about the only uh, danger well, that may not be the right word, but uh, the only the only problem with going forward with cabaret is um, the art form not dif differentiating between what's really really good and what's average. And yeah, 
when you, and and this is coming from someone who did shows and I consider myself average as because I'm not a professional singer and I appreciated the ability to be able to pre- perform shows but that but I was never under the illusion that I wasn't living out of fantasy right I was never doing it because I saw a career in this um and maybe a lot of other people feel that way too but I wish that the that the rooms were not so dependent on generating revenue that anybody who just requested who to has the money. Them. Yeah, because it hurts the really good people. Yes, I mean, it does. and the same and and the same thing happens in the reviewing community in cabaret, which I was a part of, and there are really good reviewers and writers and there are really mediocre reviewers and writers Mm -hmm. and the mediocre reviewers and writers seem to have a tendency to rave about everything and no matter how good somebody is. And when you do that, the people on the upper echelon are diminished Mm -hmm. because if everybody is great and everything is great, then frankly, nothing is great. Well, and people start to not believe it, you know, particularly people who have been in the audience and they start to not have, they start to not respect it. And, um, you know, it's one thing to write um, an uplifting review. It's another thing to have it, have it not necessarily be, be honest. I realize it's it's objective. Yeah. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing too, because if you want to if you want to keep the art form going, especially in New York, and you need to have it being written about, right? But the, but the publishers don't have the resources to okay. pay people, right? So, exactly. So they're not they're going to get what they're going to get. But this really, again, this this is in alignment with the, how how does this incredible art form. And community, How, what 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 would it take to restructure it in a way that I mean? How did it get to this? Uh, th- how did it get this way where everything rests? There's there's no th- rests on the performer to bring in everything. Well, it ha- it has to be some kind of different revenue model. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know because. Um, you know, if you turn it into the kind of art form where people had to audition the way they do for a Broadway show part, you know, you might not be able to have enough shows in the rooms to sustain the clubs. So it becomes like a really a big dilemma. I mean, of course. I, don't, I, don't, I don't envy the problem that the room No, of course not. And that. this we're not pointing yeah. any fingers at all. Exactly. We're, we're trying to solve this. Yeah. And I, and I also, by the way, I appreciate the people that volunteer to write reviews for free. I mean, I, I you know. Oh, totally. We, we need them. Everyone's um, contribution. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that everybody's doing it on a high level or a high no, level. I do, but quite frankly. The, the the name of the show is about honest, real conversation. And if the cabaret community can't be real about itself, then we're not going to be able to transform it. Right. Exactly. I mean, you yeah. know, the, none of these are digs. Uh, you know, it's just we have to be honest and be willing to take a look at that. And again, it's like our politics. We've got to be, on, be willing to be honest about what's working and what is not working. Uh, you know, the insanity of today. Yeah, I just read an article in Daily News, Joe Biden. Um, um, he did not being able, that, that he, his lies are supporting, ugh, three minutes to the end. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it would go fast. I know. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's all good. We got in. We got our our all of the cabaret stuff in. But you know, quickly and in, in less than one minute, where do you think democracy is going? There's a big fat question for one minute. Um, it'll go as far as the as the vote coming up on voting rights takes it. Yeah, that's the whole ball game in a nutshell. Yep. And Every, and and oh, go ahead. No, I, w- I was going to say you know everything, and I said this during the cabaret blue wave shows. Everything that's going on right now, when, 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 you, when you and anybody else that bemoan 
and say, why are the Republicans doing this? Why is this happening? It boils down to one answer. It's all about white supremacy and supremacy. It's white supremacy. That's why they're doing what they're doing. And the only way to change it is we've got to pass those voting rights acts. There's no other. We have to absolutely have. Okay. So what, what resources do you suggest? Where do people go? I always say, get it. Start at the local level. That's a place where you can begin to feel like you're doing something. Right. People always think, well, it's no, it starts at the bottom. Get, get into local politics, get on your school board, go to your town meetings, whatever. Where, what That's resources what the right wing do you doing. suggest? That's, That's what, what the right wing is doing. I mean, oh, totally. Look, it's it's the state legislatures that are causing all these problems. Um, you know, the people that identify with Democrats far outnumber people who identify as Republicans, but yet the minority is ruling. And that's yeah. not the way I was taught when I was growing up in school. Yes. And we're going to turn that around through yep. art, through demo- uh, voting rights, etc. So we've come to our end. You can find my wonderful guest, Stephen Hanks, on all of the social media platforms. He's on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram, as well as Facebook. Uh, you can find me on all of those as well. You can find me at sandrabargeman.com, the plum, uh, th2.com. I want to thank you, Stephen Hanks, for coming on to my show. This has been a fantastic time. I've loved hearing your stories. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. You're a great host. I love doing this with you. Oh, thank you, my friend. And I want to thank all of you who are listening in. Remember, we are always at the edge of the miraculous. We'll see you next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks again for listening in tonight. Till then, take care. This is our last dance. This is our last dance. This is our Under pressure. Under pressure. Under pressure. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, 
Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 